Well, this is obviously a very special night for the reason that we all know, and that brings us here to celebrate once again uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ on a night that changed history forever. As we hear once again the story of his entrance into a 21st or a first century world of political upheaval and of spiritual uncertainty and of questions and insecurity about the future in order to reveal himself in a most unlikely way to the most unsuspecting people that you could ever possibly imagine. But as some of you also know, this Christmas Eve is also a special night for an additional reason. And that's because this Christmas Eve happens to mark the 50th anniversary of another night that captivated the entire world. It was December 24th, 1968. The end of one of the most horrific, conflicted, hate-filled years in our nation's history, which included the assassinations of Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy, the Vietnam War, riots in a hundred cities, the decision of one president not to run for re-election, the election of another who would resign in disgrace six years later. And yet, at the end of that year, on Christmas Eve, 50 years ago, tonight, the first manned space mission to the moon was underway. And Apollo 8 astronauts, Frank Borman, who I met when I was 12, along with Jim Lovell and Bill Anders, successfully made their way into lunar orbit for the first time in history, having left this Earth three days earlier. Nobody had ever been farther away from home before, ever in history. It also may interest some of you to know uh, that in the uh, launch control center known as the firing room at Cape Kennedy, Florida, was a member of the Lutheran Church of St. Andrew. Bob Johnson Jr. was there at the launch in his early 20s working instrumentation, even though he and his new bride, Judy, were back in their apartment in Titusville by the time Christmas Eve rolled around. Bob was at the 4 o'clock service today. <laughs> Apollo 8 would orbit the moon 10 times before returning to Earth. Unknown to the public, uh, during the third pass, Commander Borman recorded a Christmas prayer that was recorded for playback at his Episcopal church in Seabrook, Texas, just outside of Houston, because Borman was scheduled to participate in the Christmas service that year, but he was, you know, like, out in country. <laughs> and so a co-worker of his, who happened to be a member of the same congregation and an engineer at Mission Control recorded the prayer, got it over to the church so that it was actually played at the Christmas Eve worship later that evening. And that tells you what people are willing to do not to disappoint their pastor. <laughs> so then it was on the fourth pass that astronaut Frank Borman rotated the spacecraft away from the moon and toward the horizon. And that's when those three astronauts saw something that no human being had ever seen with their eyes before. On Christmas Eve, 50 years ago, for the first time in human history, they saw the light of the world. 
That is to say, the whole earth, blue and white, shining in the darkness of space. They didn't see the conflict. They did not see the hatred. They just saw the light. And they saw life. In a 20th century world of political upheaval, of spiritual uncertainty, of insecurity about the future, those who are traveling in darkness saw a great light. And then they explained to the world where this light had come from. As the crew of Apollo 8 broadcast a Christmas Eve message back to the people of the earth, to an audience that was the greatest, largest audience in human history who had ever listened to a single broadcast or transmission, and it included the story of creation from the book of Genesis and the words, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And then when the reading was over, they signed off with the words, good night, good luck, Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. And so on this Christmas Eve, 50 years to the day later, Instead of walking you once again through the story of an imperial census and birth in a stable and shepherds in the fields and angels in the sky with all of its beauty, all of its tension, all of its lessons and messages for us, I'd like to just toss out a few questions for you to think about on this Christmas Eve. When have you seen the light of the world? Where does it need to shine tonight? And who do you know that can help you get into position to see that light? Which is just another way of describing the illuminating, beautiful, life-transforming presence of the child of Bethlehem who grew up and called himself the light of the world. Who St. John was talking about in his own gospel when he said, in him was life and the life was the light of all people. Who the prophet Isaiah, whether he knew it or not, was talking about more than 700 years earlier when he said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who live in the land of deep darkness, the light has shined. You know what it's like to live in deep darkness? You know, in, in the Hebrew Bible, you know, there are different words for darkness. There's the word shadows, you know, where you, you navigate around, but it's not very bright, and there's not a lot of confidence for you in that. There's the word for night. There's the word for evening. But the word he uses in that lesson that we hear every year on Christmas Eve is translated deep darkness. Have you ever lived in deep darkness? Well, Isaiah did. And Isaiah's people did because, you know, his king, whose name was Ahaz, was a bad guy and he was an ungodly one. And he entered into a, an alliance with a foreign power for his own benefit and protection. But that foreign power was evil. And, and so he was risking the kingdom and, and the safety of his people for it. You know, once again, political upheaval, insecurity about the future, uncertain 
spiritual life. You can't get rid of this stuff. And so Isaiah goes to Ahaz and he tells him, don't do this. Put your hope in God. Put your trust in God. And to do that, he paints this picture of light shining into the deep darkness. Of a time of victory, of a day of deliverance that would come in the delivery of a child who would be a great king. Who Ahaz probably thought was his own son Hezekiah, but we now know was ultimately fulfilled in the child who came into the deep darkness of some cave or stable in the little town of Bethlehem just south of the city of Jerusalem so that those who put their hope and their trust in him would never see the world in the same way again. When have you seen the light of the world? Where does it need to shine tonight? Who do you know who can help you to see it? You know, for me, uh, I have to say that I saw the light of the world, you know, several times during the recent days of Advent, like, you know, early in the morning when I would uh, get up uh, before the sun got up and, you know, go down, make the coffee, and then fire up the Advent wreath on the kitchen table and then just spend some time reading about how, you know, God's story and my story, they come together when you dig into it, and you'll find that when you do that too. And there it was. It was the light of the world. And I saw it a couple of weeks ago when I was with uh, the mother of a seriously ill 18-year-old member of this congregation, and uh, we were standing in front of that magnificent statue of Jesus in the rotunda at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. And as we were standing there talking, you know, this little kid walks in. I mean, eight years old, nine, I don't, I don't know. Walks in by himself, drops his book bag on the hard floor, gets down on his knees, folds his hands, shuts his eyes tight, and there he is praying for something, someone, on his knees at the feet of Jesus. I looked at that kid and I thought to myself, you know, that kid's got something a lot of adults in this world do not have and that everybody should want. That's the light of the world. I saw it shining uh, in our worship all December. I mean, Sundays, Mondays, Wednesdays, as the people of God raise their voices up in, in hope to the one who's coming we celebrate tonight. I, I saw it actually uh, in the darkness, or at least in the shadows, after one of our Wednesday Advent services, when I happened to be the last guy out of the building that night for some reason, and, and so I decided to you know, kind of walk through the place, make sure everything was buttoned up before I went home, and I walked into the commons and I saw you know, all the Christmas decorations that had just gone up the day before, and I thought about all the people who did all this work to make this house beautiful for God and for you. And I thought about all the people who do all this work to make this music that encourages my praise, connects me to God over and over, week after week. I peeked in here and thought about the people who sit in these pews, who commune at this altar, who come here to get the word that they're forgiven. Walked out past the commons toward the mailboxes. I thought about the thousands of dollars worth of Christmas gifts that 
you provided for needy children in Montgomery County uh, for this Christmas celebration. And I just thought about, you know, all the giving. I mean, all the sacrificing. All the hours, all the time, all the service, all the comforting, all the welcoming. And how nobody has to do this. And yet you do it. And, and I thought to myself, you know, how is it that I have been here for 22 years and I still cannot get over this? At the way that the light of Christ shines in and through this community of faith. And then it, it hit me. Now, yes, I understand why this is. Because this child who was born calls himself the light of the world ends up giving you and me the very same name in the Sermon on the Mountain. He says, hey, you're the light of the world too because I came to live in you and through you. That's why St. Paul said, you know, it's not me who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. It's kind of like the moon, you know. It doesn't have any light of its own, but it's beautiful because it reflects the light of another source. Candlelight is beautiful. Precisely because it shines through the deep darkness. And so the first time anybody ever saw the light of the world obviously wasn't 50 years ago. It was more than 2,000 years ago when the God of Genesis, who created this world and saw that it was good until we wrecked it with our disobedience, loved us so much that he delivers this child to shine light right into the deep darkness of your life and to say, I am right here with you. And I'm here to forgive your past. And I'm here to wash your dirty, stinking laundry. And I'm here to show you that there is something bigger than anything this world has to offer. You know, so I don't know where it needs to shine in your life tonight, but... You do. You know where you might be living in the shadows, you know, moving around, making it look like everything's okay when you know it really isn't because there's something missing, there's something that, you know, is still lacking, that's, that's not quite right. Or whether you're in the deep darkness of some major league struggle, grief, loss, sin in your life. And what I'm here to tell you on this Christmas Eve, and the thing I really want you to remember, is that when the light of Christ shines into your life, into my life, the world around me does not always change. But I do. And because I do, because of him, that's when the world starts to look different. And the good times start to look different. And the bad times start to look different. And the loss starts to look different. Even death starts to look different because it is different in him. Because when you look at the light of the world, you don't see the hatred. You don't see the conflict. You see life with God. And so, in a 21st century world of political upheaval, spiritual insecurity, questions about the future, which just keeps on coming, 
also comes again this story of an imperial census, a birth in a manger, shepherds in a field, angels in the sky, which is here once again tonight to remind you, whoever you are, that the light of the world is on, and it's calling you home to God. On this Christmas Eve, I want you to know that we come here every year to celebrate the birth of Christ right after the winter solstice. In other words, the shortest day of the year was last Friday when the darkness was more pervasive than it is at any other time. And then Christmas comes and we celebrate the birth of the world's Redeemer. And now the days are getting longer. You know, and the light is shining. A little more, a little brighter, more and more and more, every single day, which is not just nature's reminder, but also God's reminder of the child who came to be your redeemer and the Lord of your life. And if this community of faith can help you to get into positions so that you can see that brilliantly and clearly in your life, then that is the mission that we are on. And we are ready to blast off with you and go on a journey, an adventure together in which we know and celebrate and make known to this world that nothing ever looks the same when this light breaks into your life and that child of Bethlehem is the Lord of your life today and forever. And so, with my love and my prayers and thanks again, I wish you a bright Christmas. May that earth never be the same again for you because the light of the world has come. Amen. Now approaching uh, lunar sunrise, and uh, for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the Earth, and the Earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a movement in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament. And divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. <laughs> God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. 
that God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called these seas. God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth.